Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you in-depth interviews with the creators and stars of the hottest shows on Broadway and at this year's Tony Awards. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. Today I'm talking to three of the leading creators of the new musical Mean Girls. Tina Fey, the writer of the 2004 film comedy that starred Lindsay Lohan and Rachel Adams, wrote the book to Mean Girls based on her own screenplay, with the score provided by Fey's frequent collaborator, the composer Jeff Richmond, who is also her husband, and the lyricist Nell Benjamin. The musical is now up for a dozen Tony Awards, including Best New Musical, a Best Book nomination for Fay, and a Best Score nod for Richmond and Benjamin. To start, I'll talk to Fay about her first foray on Broadway. Hey, Tina. Thanks for being here. Hi, Gordon. Thank you for having me. So I'm talking to you just a few days after you hosted uh, the season finale of Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems to me that as television, Saturday Night Live kind of has a little more in common with musical theater than a lot of TV shows, just in that it's live and there's music and it's funny. Am I right about that? I think you're right. It is a variety show. It's one of the last few, maybe the last live mm. variety show certainly so it, it um in some ways has a uh, its legacy comes from another time it comes from the 50s 60s and 70s and yeah you 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 are putting stuff up in front of an audience or using the audience as your sounding board kind of like being in previews right. on a musical there are um really talented musicians uh playing live music every week i mean the one difference is that we are always kind of like as the cast we're almost always kind of faking uh singing and dancing whereas people on Broadway Street can <laughs> actually do those things right <laughs> yeah I mean we're doing we're doing it but we're doing it as a joke but they're doing it for real right and did you find your experiences writing for SNL or for writing for TV company in general how did you find that experience came in handy with Mean Girls and in what ways did it not apply at all well it really felt like it started to apply late in the process because hmm. we'd worked on the show for five years and so and I've written Movies. Obviously, I wrote well. I wrote the movie Mean Girls, and I've written for episodic television, where you're kind of mapping things out over the course of a season. Um, and so, for the beginning, the first couple of years, it was very kind of like, "What if?" And there's a lot of, "Well, we could try this," and you just feel like you have infinite time. And then, what really felt comfortable and familiar to me was when you finally have the the actors that you're going to have, and when you're in, especially when you're in rehearsal and then in previews, where you're 
kind of looking at what the audience is telling you every night and trying to make changes and right. trying to make them quickly so you have the benefit of you know seeing more options in front of the audience that felt very much like like a week at Saturday Night Live and and even that kind of um Except Even, for what, four weeks? Is it the preview process? Four weeks, right. right. Yeah, but yeah. you're kind of also going like, well, let's. what can we do that goes in tonight? Right. And so that feels familiar. And even this sort of anxiety and adrenaline of it felt like a very warm, uh, cozy sweater. Like coming me. home, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And what were the biggest surprises in the process for you in terms of what didn't you expect? Um, I think – not. I guess not – so much of a surprise that when we got to Washington, we felt like we felt like okay, we're in really good shape and we have things that work, and and we were in pretty good shape. But that there was this so was in we should say this was in December. This of was last in year, we right? yeah, November, we, we, yeah. Our first preview was in Halloween, yeah. and we went into the first couple weeks of December. Yeah, it was your pre-Broadway run? Yeah, and um, we went in thinking like, oh, we're in really really great shape, which we were in good shape, but there was still so much work to be done, and we did do a lot of work, and I'm really glad that we did, and we really learned a lot from the audience on there. They were very smart. Um, can you, helpful. can you identify one thing in particular that really stands out to you in terms of what they... The biggest takeaway we learned down there that was in terms of just getting uh, into the heart of our main character, getting into Katie's wants and needs, that we, we had her singing front to back in the whole show, but the what she was saying and what she was singing weren't letting us connect with her enough. Um, and so that was, a, that was probably the biggest takeaway. And then um, there were just some very obvious pacing things that you just like had to find a way to tell the story differently so that the act could be shorter right. and there was a scene that it was a really um lovely scene between katie and aaron that came like after revenge party if you've seen the show and, and, mm-hmm. and act one it was just like oh we we just simply cannot sit down into a scene right now we have to run out the act and that kind of took me back to to my second city days uh, yeah. in Chicago where you talk so much about running order and the impact of running order and you know you, you, you can feel when an audience wants to the act right. to start ramping out um, right. and I like that stuff I like figuring out that puzzle I like not being precious about jokes or scenes and finding a way to make things work um, I think that's the most exciting part and so you mentioned you've been working on this for about five years. When did the idea of Mean Girls as a musical occur to you? I think, you know, other people had been kind of experimenting with it. And we would get, you know, someone saying, Other you know, creative teams? Other, or? but like, you know, at like, you know, unlicensed productions at okay, colleges. Right. And someone would send me a link and be like, look at this. Isn't it cute? And I was mm-hmm. like, it's not cute. That's my IP. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and I don't own it. So I was sort of sort of feel like, oh, what if somebody... You know, Paramount owns it. And I was like, I really would not want someone other than us to do this. And so we went to Lorne Michaels. And this was kind of – we started right when the series 30 Was Lorne your ended. first thought in terms of the, yeah, producing Lor- this? Yeah, Lorne produced the movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so we knew that we would go to – that Lorne – we would go to Lorne that we would all go then as a group to the late Brad Gray, who was running Paramount at the time. And um, he and Lorne were very close and had a good relationship. And we had to get permission to do it. Um, and – uh and they, you know, they thankfully gave it to us. And I think a lot of that credit goes to Lorne because he had that close relationship with Paramount because it's, you know, you're asking a lot. They only get one shot at it. And I had not written a book for a musical before. Um, uh, what was your musical theater experience before then? Did you, are you a fan? Did you? I am a fan. I grew up, I'm a drama major, but I'm not a particularly strong singer. Uh, I played Sally Bowles in oh. my senior year of college. 
to not great effect. Um, I would have been better if it was I am a camera. Um, <laughs> don't have a big voice. But uh, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. I you know grew up doing community theater and all through high school, um, te- like directing children's theater. So uh, I am an admirer of it, and 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 a, and you know felt like I understood the form as a playwriting student out there, but it was my first time really trying to do it. And there was, I, you know, Nell, Benjamin, our lyricist, and Casey Nicola, and Jeff has had much more experience than I have writing uh, musicals, but they, they kind of guided me right. through the process because um, there were moments where, I mean, there were definitely moments where <laughs> I would just sit and Google things like, you know, act two opener wiki and be like, what? What are examples of Act Two openers? Like, you're like, oh, okay, so the Act Two opener maybe it, maybe it shouldn't move the story. Maybe this is a moment to settle in. And and when I, all the examples that I would look up, I would was familiar with them as a fan. Right. But then when you really start to break it down, right. uh, the structure. Yeah. Yeah. How did you connect with Nell? How did you guys first connect with her? We met with a few people, and Nell, um, Nell, I really hit it off with right away because she's very smart, and I think she approached these characters the same way I did, which is you you have to approach them and their stories and their stakes, you know, as if they're checkoff characters. Like you have to take them fully seriously to be able to then write jokes about them. If you take them as like silly characters from the beginning, then the jokes will just get thinner and shallower. And she I didn't realize this until until recently actually that Nell was a women's studies has like a master's degree in women's studies. Like, oh, that's applicable. Um, but we talked a lot about the source material and, and the ideas behind the original uh, movie. And so and she was very tuned into that and, and, and into the idea of m- making the show sort of secretly uh, about those relationships, about something. What did you find creatively was the hardest uh, fit for um, taking this story that exists on film and making it into a musical theater piece? Well, um, I think um, one of the hardest things was anything that was slightly flawed in the screenplay, because it was my first screenplay, became magnified when you would get to that part and you're trying to tell it for the stage. And you're like, oh, wait, so what happens here? Like, they try to sabotage her and fail a bunch of times, and then we, but then they accidentally, like, there was things like that that were a little wonky in the screenplay became uh, areas that we had to really figure out and reinvent um uh and we and we did have to update it but that wasn't as hard um the updating to to modern day yeah to modern day we sort of tried i tried i wanted to do it with a light touch because um i felt like it was about the people more than their phones more than the front yeah yeah was there ever a a thought of setting it in 2004 or about when it i mean not not on my part because i felt like that's not a distinct enough period um, I, uh, I had a, a bunch of, uh, young women, some teenage women, some daughters of friends come and be a sort of an informal focus group when we were working on the lab and they were very helpful on, on those fronts, you know, um, very just like, oh, um, like a reference to Twitter or something like, um, no young people use Twitter. I was like, great. Good to know. <laughs> right. Like, what you did know. they use? Uh, I think they Snapchat. Snapchat or this short. is again. Okay. This is already over now. It's probably over. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. What is it now? Yeah. That's why we sort of m- made an effort to not to mention too many right. real platforms. Right. How attached did you find you were to stuff that was in the movie that you had a real uh, affection for? Um, I'm very attached to the characters and what I believe their motivations to be and whether hearts are um joke wise 
uh, found as we went along that I, I wanted to do fewer and fewer jokes from the movie if we could, mm. um, because it's just as a comedy writer, it's weird to to reuse a joke. It's a weird feeling, and I knew there would be some things like I, I kind of didn't mind using sort of strange lines from the movie that weren't necessarily jokes, but to do the same jokes like that, you know, um, we tried to replace as many of them as we could get away with. Right. And is that a process you enjoyed in terms of? Yeah, it's fun to uh, have a chance to pitch in the same scenes (laughs) that you (laughs) wrote 15, 10 years ago. And so when you guys first uh, started out, you partnered with a producer named Stuart Thompson, who, um, you know, was a much beloved uh, Broadway Mm -hmm. producer who uh, died tragically a little just before the um, Mm -hmm. opening. Did you, how far along were you in that then? Was there any thought of... um, I don't know, delaying or rethinking or anything? or No, Stuart, uh, who was such a gentleman and so smart and mm. really uh, guided Lauren through this process because Lauren hadn't produced a show for Broadway since Guild Alive. Yeah, which, like, 79 or something? Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, and Lauren really, they got along so beautifully because Stuart was, you know, such, such a class act. And, mm. like, Lauren felt very trusting of him and he knew this world so fully um uh and i think stewart in his infinite wisdom kind of built relationships uh to set us up for his passing he knew that he was not well we i didn't know but he knew and he uh he had brought sonia friedman in early on and so Sonia Friedman is a UK-based producer who produces yeah. a lot of Broadway, and yeah. including Harry Potter, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Farinelli and the King. Yeah. Farinelli and the King, yep. yep. Um, and she's really, really smart, and, and he had brought her in, and he was sort of setting us up so that we would be able to continue. And I think, mm-hmm. I, I think we, you know, we felt like we, he wanted us to continue and to uh, um, to the, the, the greatest gift we could give him would be to continue and to succeed. And his, his uh, partner, Joe Baker, has yeah. been uh, around and been... Uh, and a very enthusiastic cheerleader of us for the remainder of the process. What was the best piece of advice that he or anyone else gave you about this whole process? Oh, that uh, that Stuart gave? Uh, or anyone. Or what, anyone? Yeah. I mean, I think Stuart was one of the people who set us up with Casey Nicholas. So that's mm-hmm. a, a wonderful um, you know, piece of guidance. Um, and just we knew that, that Stuart had had worked on Book of Mormon, so we trusted that while he understood the Broadway world, that he also understood the comedy world, um, and they would kind of leave us be, uh, and he certainly did. Um, i trying to think what other advice. You know, uh, early on, uh, the very, one of the first ways we met Casey was um, Lorne was very close with Mike Nichols, and he invited, he wanted to come hear some songs, and he said, can I, can I bring Mike to hear some of the early songs? I was like, Four years ago, five years. Ago. And Casey worked with uh, Mike and, on, yeah, uh, Spam on Spam a lot, yeah. and so so uh, Mike brought Casey. Um, I think also setting us up in a sort of a blind date way, and they listened to some songs. And Mike was such a great audience. And his note at the time, because we only had four or five songs, and he said, "People are um, people need to sing to each other more." Everyone was singing sort of mm-hmm. pronouncements out, and it was like the most clear, correct. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, of course, of course they do." Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Did uh, when I the last time I spoke to Casey, he mentioned that you guys were uh, uncommonly fast as writers. I'm assuming that's from your um, TV days, right? And your think SNL it's days, TV so, training. Right? But but yeah. I will say Nell is very fast. Our lyricist, mm, she's yeah. very fast, and um, she's mostly. Uh, I think she has written for TV, but is mostly a legit uh, stage background. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and the great thing, Casey, I think also likes to go fast. And I think um, compared to uh, what I hear of other directors in the process, if if something you know, if you have something in a preview that didn't work. He doesn't, if he can, he doesn't want to wait three days to take it out. And the beauty of this young, facile cast, I mean, Erica Henningsen was learning new songs, new lyrics yeah. every day for a while and just had the muscle to do it. Yeah, this is Erica who plays Katie mm-hmm. in the musical. Yeah. And congratulations on a dozen Tony nominations. Thank That's you. That's very exciting. Um, so the Tony ceremony is like, what, two back to back episodes of Saturday Night Live, basically? Do you have any <laughs> advice for. For the Tony ceremony, oh, for 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 the for the host for the for show the, for the anything. The yeah, I yeah. think it's one of the best shows. I've only sat in it in the audience once, but I was just saying today to somebody that the nice thing about it is when people come out to speak or to perform, you can relax that they can actually do it. Because when you go <laughs> to things with movie stars and stuff, you sometimes a big movie star will come out and you'd be like, oh, this person literally cannot speak. They're terrible at public speaking because they're a movie star. Yeah. Um, and so these stage people, you know, everyone's going to make sense. Everyone's going <laughs> to pace it up. Everyone everyone who's coming out to sing can sing. Can yep. So it's actually very uh, – I find it very relaxing to go to. So this is your first. Uh, do you want to do another one? I would love to do another one. I would love to – or I'd love to write a play. Um, yeah. I realize now, now that I know what I know, I should have – that means I should have started something two years ago so that I would <laughs> only true. be three years away. <laughs> but I, at this point, I'm cold. Uh, something original or is there anything that you've worked on before that you could? I, I think it would be nice to find something original yeah. um, to see what we could do without without uh, licensing a property. Right. Plus, I haven't written any other movies, so I've, right. already, I've used my catalog fully. <laughs> right. There's the 30 Rock <laughs> musical, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, we can't wait to see what it is. Thank you, Tina. Thank Thanks you, Gordon. Talking nice talking yeah. to you. That was Tina Fey, the Emmy and Golden Globe winner, who is now a Tony nominee with her first musical, Mean Girls. Up next are the Tony-nominated songwriters of the show, composer Jeff Richmond and lyricist Nell Benjamin. Hi, Nell and Jeff. Thanks for being here. Thanks Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Um, So I feel like one of the first decisions that a a creative team on a musical has to make, particularly the songwriters, is what musical palette they will use to convey, to tell the story and convey the world. What do you consider your influences for Mean Girls? Well, let's see. Do you want me to start a little bit? Sure. I was was just going to talk about music things. Well, I have so, I love so much music and so many musical theater palettes. Like, you know, old stuff from, you know, uh, Rodgers and Hart and, you know, Frank Lesser and Leonard Bernstein. That that's a real tradition that I came up in. And I really, I love all that stuff. But I also grew up in the 70s, so I have this this rock and roll drive that I also like, like being in a, you know, a garage band and stuff. But uh, it's just old school rock and roll and plus uh, just Broadway. Uh, and so when we're talking about Mean Girls, we just talk about, well, that's what I came from. You talk, talk just talk about music now for a minute. Um I would say, I don't think we sat down and said, it's going to sound like mm. Jethro Tull. It's going to sound like this. We didn't no. say any of that. I think we sort of, 
started with characters, and Jeff was so great about, you know, okay, well, if Damien is a musical theater fan, maybe he has... Damien, who is one of the main characters, for people who haven't seen it, who is... How do we describe him? Me. He is one of the misfits of the... One yeah, of the main a, misfits? Damien yeah, is kind of... Yeah, he's sort of the underdog. Yeah. theater geek, and yeah. uh, he, he can... Sings he, in school choirs. Right, and he can sing with the show choir. Has he has a, a caustic wit. yeah. Probably watches old movies, I'm guessing, like things like that. And yeah. he, yeah, yeah. He, you know who that kid oh, he's is. He's totally on TCM all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, back lot. <laughs> exactly. <That's> a member. <laughs> but so right, he right, right. actually, speaking of Damien, he has the number that is kind of the most traditional Broadway in a way, right? Because he's got Absolutely. the tap number. Right. Yeah. And which, so when we talked about these things, we, we wanted them to sing or that their music and they would come from a truthful place of who we really felt if they would sing what their heart was. It would sound like this kind of music. And we did that. And we did it purposely, I think. But we, it kind of serendipitously kind of crept up on us that it right. was becoming that. And then we realized, oh, this is kind of why, because we want these, these, all these characters to sing from a truthful place. Right. And, and in yeah, high school. Yeah. And Damien, so Damien's best friend, Janice, in the show, is with him a lot. And, you know, uh, and they're like, you know, with Katie, a trio of friends. But Janice doesn't sound anything like Damien. She has right. a totally different voice. Um, and that variety is really, really fun. So I think that was, rather than pick a style, was what's the voice and how would that sing? Right, and so we need. And we also knew, like, oh, Damien, we would would feel most honest singing just old fashioned musical theater, mm-hmm. big, fat, juicy, splashy numbers. Yes, and he gets a couple of them, and then we knew Janice was going to kind of be our, our anarchist and a little edgy and probably sing from a punk thing. It sounded like every time she would sing, it would right. be like that. Mm-hmm. And then we, as we wrote characters and wrote songs for characters and character songs, they kind of shape themselves because I would say like uh, you, know, um, you know we thought Regina feels like she has so much power that uh, she would say, and she's kind of a villain and she's got the, all this duality and she's very complicated in that way but we found that she sounded like she wanted to be a Bond villain in a Bond movie like yeah. her themes were very cinematic and big broad strokes and so we wanted to have these big fat sounds for her Did you have a favorite character to write for? Ooh. Well, I, for, I, Damien is awfully fun to write yeah. for. Yeah. It, seems, for it sounds sure. like you like Damien a lot. Yeah, he's oh, fun yeah. to write because then you could do that old-fashioned fun stuff that yeah. you really uh, – it feels like it's in your wheelhouse in a lot of ways. So yeah. so he gets those big splashy numbers in the first act. For a lyricist, everybody's great because they all have their own languages. Like Katie's got this um, this Kenya, this science background. We mm-hmm. can pull that vocabulary. And, you know, Janice is sort of like angry artiste. And so you can have, you know, she can say things that, you know, girls are not often allowed to say in right. public. Um, uh, I think Regina sometimes was the the hardest one. Certainly her number was the hardest to find. But, it you know, when well, Jeff was like, well, well, what about where does pop hit orchestral? And then... He was like, Bond theme, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> like, kind of true. Yes, right, right. that's exactly what it should be. Right. You know? uh, and uh, talking about those characters like that, I remember one of the we were first writing this years ago, I remember saying, well, there was all this turmoil of over. When when does Regina sing yes. first? And, like, she's mm-hmm. this big powerhouse. She is the center of so much of this, of the drama. The show, when does she sing? And she has so much power. Uh, but then I realized, oh, well, the first time she sings – she almost sings in a whisper. It dawned on me today, like, she sings this beginning of a Bond thing, but she sings about herself, and she just sings. It's a big build-up, and then, 
My name is Regina George. But it's so tiny. I think it was kind of cool. You, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I thought it was, oh. And every time you would see it and in the labs when we were first putting this thing up, people would sit on the edge of their seat because I think they got sucked in that they had to actually listen because it was almost a sung stage whisper. And I think there was so much power in presenting Regina that way that she could sing small and everybody in the room would just want forward. to listen to yeah. it. Yeah. And Taylor has run with that. I mean, yeah, she... This is Taylor Letterman, the actress who plays Regina. Yeah, she has sort of like... she She's almost terrifyingly quiet and she <laughs> do, she barely moves and when she does it's to strike sort of this perfect pose and you can just sort of feel everybody gravitate around her and that's the key to Regina she doesn't make effort no. right. doesn't need to yeah. why would she you know she's got Gretchen running around her like you know singing her incredible Latin rhythms and all this uh-huh. sort of stuff you know she doesn't people come to Regina right what can you describe a moment that you struggled to sort of musicalize and and or get right? What was what was sort of tough for you in telling this story? You know, there there's logi- we found. Let me think. There we found logistic problems when you're building a full show that you can't just come out and write what you think is a great song and what many people think is a great song and put it in the equation and the running order of a show and think that it's going to pr- work in this particular slot. And I think a hard one we found was a Regina song. Because she had in D.C. in the first time we were doing it, I think she had a song that was a really solid, sexy pop song. Right. Was, this, was this her introduction number, or this her? was no? This was at the party when okay. uh, when Regina decides she is going to sort of seduce back yeah. the boy that Katie. This heard. is still Act One, yeah. and it's yes. still Act yeah. One, yeah. so it's like likes, right. yeah. And the original take of it was you were very much inside Regina's head. The song actually is the same title, and some of the lyrics are similar, but it was very much sort of her processing and making all this effort to seduce him back. um, And and then it came up against the, well, but Regina doesn't make effort. Regina's magical. Like, if she wants it to happen, it happens. Uh, so, so this the second take was Wasn't more in better. line with that, right? The first take was also that in the logistics of of uh, propulsion of the first act, is we came out of a number called uh, "Sexy," which is this big number, and then you had to like try to top that number with Regina, and you get to that point in the act, whatever Regina sings after Karen has to top it, and so <laughs> even though that song was a really good song. It didn't have about the, the big set piece about Halloween costumes. Yeah. It's very funny for people who haven't seen it yet. Yeah, thanks. It's really it, it is very funny, Nell. Very good, very good lyrics. And Tina, I think, jumped in and had ideas with that. But it's such a big, splashy number that we could never figure out a way how to, for for Regina to top it until we like rethought it through and made it a bigger, more yeah. c- cinematic, magical, really go for the throat kind of uh, big rock opera, right. epic, sweeping thing. And, and then we, that felt like we finally finally kind of got it. Yeah. It seems like if writing comedy is hard, then writing comedy set to music is even harder, right? Like, I, I just feel like there is... Tell me about the process of how you go about crafting a punchline that is set to music. Because they, they work to they work hand in hand, right? Well, this is where Jeff excels. No, this is where Nell excels. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, if you, if, yes, if you come up with a joke, there's always a rhythm by which you have to deliver a punchline. And um, the, one of the many joys of Jeff is that because he himself is so funny and knows how to deliver punchlines, he can also deliver tunes that deliver punchlines. So How did you tend to work? Did did music come first or lyrics or I, did it depend? Um, it was almost always lyrics first. And it's just, it's, I work I work 
best that way, I think. Yeah. Because uh, I really need I need something to hang it all on. You know, I just need to know kind of what it wants to be. It, it, it helps me. Inform. But to Nell, back to that thing. But <laughs> Nell writes really funny. She can, like, find a couplet, keep that rhyme as impure, and still find a funny punchline for it. And I don't know if she works backwards from it. I've never grilled her about it, but she's very good about it. But that funny music thing, yeah. And that also just comes from, like, years of writing at for com- for comedy people at Second City in Chicago and right. years at SNL. And those guys don't know how to – or they sort of guys and girls. I, I shouldn't be so sexist that way, but they uh, – they can't scan like they can't. They don't know how to write scan properly, and so you, it was just years of this like trying to butcher, like take words and shove them into a box that make <laughs> things fit into a song, and finding what. Oh, well, maybe we can take these four words and make this the hook. And but with Nell, it's always just uh, it's just a beautiful fitting suit that shows up, and you're wow. on your on your hotel door in the <laughs> yeah. morning. And like, oh, it's clean. It's ready to go. And. So, no, you were working with a couple of first-timers with Jeff and Tina. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't did, feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, but did their experience in other realms, did they? Did you find that um, they brought a perspective to the show that you having worked with lots of, you know, reg, you know Broadway regulars, that, that, that maybe they, that would have been, a, that was a new perspective to yeah, this process? I mean, what did you find? For one yeah. thing, the, the improv uh, background, just the idea of, like, we're going to try it and try it and try it and throw it out and try it again and that everything is possible. That's, there's, I mean, Jeff is not really a newbie. You're not really a newbie. You know Broadway backwards and forwards, you know. Um, I can remember you and Glenn Kelly, who is our dance ranger, and just sitting <laughs> sitting at the piano. Freezing over. Just, like, pulling out <laughs> songs from musicals you've just never heard of. Like, the, it's just, just, you know, oh, remember that, you know. <laughs> and uh, And so it was just... Yeah, sort of remember when Leroy Anderson wrote a musical? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, this, and it was this, and it was. I was in, one of the people in, you know, in the audience. Yeah, for, and I remember that the night. Four performances. Yeah, right. Of, yeah, um, but it, so, so I, it, it, you know, so there's all the chops there, but there's also this sense of like we can do this quickly, and and anything is possible, uh, which really ups your game. Did you have fun doing this, Jeff? And will you do it again? I would love to do it again. I, I really did. I had it was the most, and I've done a lot of fun things and joyful. I'm including my children, the birth of my children, <laughs> and what. I, uh, but there is something that uh, is so joyful about the process: bringing in all these young people, and you're with them for a year, and they are so pumped and enjoyed uh, performing and doing the things that you're writing. Working with such a great creative team like Nell and Tina and Casey and all the support, their supportive teams and designers. I, it, it is the most collective, uh, rewarding thing I've ever worked on. What else is on your plate these days? Uh, we are working on girls. yeah, Kimmy Schmidt, and we mm-hmm. have a, actually yep. are talking some musicals things uh, coming around. Great, so, yeah, great. I'm so excited to do anything. Yeah. And Nell, what's on your plate? I know one of the things you're working on is Dave. Uh, yes, um, we've got the film. Uh, Dave, uh, musical of the film coming to Arena Stage yeah. uh, this summer, but and uh, Halftime coming to Paper Mill in two weeks. And so, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's right now. It's right <laughs> well, down the road. Really barrel. is right now, yes. isn't it? But before all that, uh, you've got the Tony Awards to go to. Um, have you, Jeff? Have you ever been to the Tonys? I have, but okay. only as security person. What's, no, I've <laughs> only been there as <laughs> yeah, as a guest in the audience when Tina would. Uh, and what is your impression of them? I well, growing up, my impression of them was they were the most the most fun of all the award shows. Because are you a New Yorker? I am not. Okay. I'm an Ohioan, so oh. I come from a very small town, and you had to really look around for your arts and your culture, and a lot of it came through the television. And the, the Tonys was one of the most cultural things you got all year. Mm-hmm. So I look at fond memories and delight, 
and you could see big numbers and you could finally see you can't you couldn't get to New York as much as other people so you were you really looked at the Tonys as being this thing so I look at them with such reverence and fondness um I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Are you it's now? It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, we're going there with great people and a great show, and that's really yeah, fun. It feels great. You I know? can't wait for people to see that that number that we're doing oh. that night. Oh. Yeah, that's a hard choice, actually. It is, is tough. Figuring out what you're going to do. Was, yeah. It yeah. was. I think we finally have, have narrowed it down to something. Which we're not revealing, I'm imagining. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> that's not. I surprise. It's a surprise okay. thing. <laughs> well, we'll just wait to see it on Tony night. Um Thank you guys both for doing this. I really appreciate it. Nice oh, to talk to you. Thank yeah. you Thank very you so much. That was Jeff Richmond, Nell Benjamin, and Tina Fey, the creators of Mean Girls, now doing great business at the August Wilson Theater and currently nominated for 12 Tony Awards. On the next episode of Stagecraft, I'll talk to Andrew Garfield, nominated for lead actor in a play for his performance as Prior Walter in the current Broadway revival of Angels in America. Until then, see you at the theater. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.